Welcome to Craftlit, the podcast for crafters who like books. My name is Heather Wardover, and I'm podcasting from my corner of the Sonoran Desert, the Old Pueblo, Tucson, Arizona. Episode 74, Soaring in Michigan. This episode of Craftlet is sponsored by Knitting Out Loud. Listen while you knit. Hello, I'm sorry this podcast is coming to you rather late. It is Saturday at 4.31 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and here I am at Soar. And here's the thing or as we like to say in our family, the thing of it is, is I'm exhausted. I'm really exhausted. I had forgotten how much work being at SOAR actually is for coming for the whole, the whole week. Um, I have learned how to weave using hand spun, which means I was able to warp a loom with my hand spun yarn and not snap every warp thread. And, uh, and then I wove fabric and then horror of horrors, I cut that fabric in order to sew myself a spindle bag. I lined it, I spun it, I cut it, I wove it. I'm really quite excited with myself. And uh, I'll post a picture of the, the bag that I put up. The other thing that was interesting about that process was that I did not weave anything that I expected to. I, I did kind of kitchen sink yarn where I just threw colors in. I, I had brought um, some merino roving with me. Actually, no, that's not true. It's merino comb top. And when she showed us the fiber that she had available, I was intrigued because I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to try something different. So I did. And I'm very happy with the result. It was, um, it was a good experiment. And then we have, after the three-day workshop, we have a day off and all the new people come in and the market opens. And I shudder to look at the bills when they come back to me for how much money I spent, but I got exactly what I was hoping to find, uh, except for little sheepy cards. I wanted little sheepy note cards to send to people, and I couldn't find any. Morgane had some little witch and kitty cat cards, but those aren't cheap. Then for my little um, retreat classes, which are three hours long, I have learned how to spin lace weight yarn yes I did, with uh, Margaret Stove, which was really quite wonderful. She's She is the expert in the field. I learned from Catherine Alexander how to knit her special entrelac stuff with, um, with her yarn, which I highly recommend. If you are going to attempt any Catherine Alexander entrelac, go ahead and spend the money and spring for the kit that comes with the yarns because her yarns are very specific yarns and they're dyed just beautifully and they knit up really really easily it was a a very easy process and in order to do the entrelac easily i had to learn how to knit forward and backward which what that means is i kept the knit side facing me the whole time and i would knit a row and then I would knit back to the beginning of that row without turning the fabric around. So I would purl from the front. Interesting. And it, it, to create stockinette fabric. So for those of you who are knitters, you can marvel with me. It's really doable. And she had a wonderful technique for learning how to do that. And then today I learned how to needle felt a little birdie with Sharon Costello. I have tried 
to needle felt uh, creature things before. I have failed miserably. Uh, I'm not so bad with the wet felting, but the needle felting has been uh, difficult. I don't know why it had been difficult. My guess was it was because I wasn't using a pattern and didn't have a clue what I was doing. And now that I have worked for three hours on a black cap chickadee with uh, Miss Costello, I have to say, I'm really happy with the way my birdie came out. It's not it's not as beautiful as hers, but you look at it and you can tell it's a black cap chickadee. So I figure I did what I was supposed to do. And then my last class today with Andrea Milky of Milky's Fibers Arts uh, store, as I worked with her for the three-hour session, and that was on how to spin dog fur, or actually dog fluff, like doggy down, uh, undercoat of dog. And that was really revelatory because I totally didn't expect to be able to do that, and I spun a lovely skein of pure Samoyed, and then I blended Merino with some Mystery Dog, and I blended some um, Angora Top, pure Angora Top with some Merino, and oh, I blended something else and something else. Oh, and then we got some actual Pima Cotton uh, roving from Cotton Clouds, and I spun Cotton Thread. Now. I have to confess, I knew that I was going to try and take the lace class, so I had more gain of Carolina homespun in San Francisco, bring me a lace flyer and bobbin. And I know I have tried to spin lace weight before on my little spinning wheel, and it hasn't worked very well. I don't actually know that my technique has improved all that much, but I do think that having a lace bobbin and flyer and super fast whirl uh, helped considerably. So I'm very proud of myself. I've learned quite a bit. I have had a wonderful time. I've gotten to see all the friends that I made last year with, with the exception of, well, no, that's not true. I haven't gotten to see everyone because there were people that I met last year in my three-day spinning class who weren't at SOAR this year, and that was a bummer. And there were a few other people who I met just out in the, um, you know, at the food places and just the hanging out spaces, and, and they weren't here this year, and I was looking for them. So that was, that was a little sad. I am realizing that SOAR is... Uh, both a national event and a very localized event. And this year there are a lot of people here from Michigan and Wisconsin who don't go to SOAR unless it's up here in Michigan. Um, it's been beautiful. The first couple days we got in, it was hot and humid and horrible, and I didn't pack for it. And then we had a big storm roll through, which was a cold front, and the temperature dropped about 30 degrees. And since then it has just been lovely. And I have gotten my fall weather, and I am really kind of worried about the shock that my body's going to go through when I land in Arizona tomorrow and it's 85. And um, it gets cold at night though, so maybe, maybe it won't be too horrible. But it's been wonderful, and even more wonderful than that is this time I had a digital recorder, a handheld digital recorder, and I've been able to talk to people at SOAR about the things that they have been learning. So I'm going to play you audio from other people. And I'm going to try and coordinate the audio with pictures on the blog so that whenever I can, I can show you pictures of what these people are, are talking about. Because some of the work that was done in those three-day workshops, which we have a show and tell Wednesday night so we can all see what everybody did, some of the work was really stupendous, uh, especially the people with Sharon Costello in the needle felting class. The, the things that they made, 
it was it was professional work. It was just glorious to see, and um, it's always nice when you get an opportunity like that. So, without any further ado, I'm going to turn you over to my friends at SOAR. My name is Didi Potasic. And what class did you take for the workshop portion? Um, I took Sharon Costello's needle felting of sculpting animals. And I'm looking at the back end of a raccoon that you made, which is what, like seven or eight inches tall? Um, yeah, I didn't measure him, but I would say probably yeah, about eight inches tall. How much fiber went into needle felting something that enormous? Um, probably about four ounces, maybe. Yeah, four or five ounces. Yeah. Because it's gorgeous. Thanks. And how, one of the things that's always freaked me out about needle felting an animal that big or any kind of shape that looks like something, in fact, is, is that when I needle felt big hunks of wool, they stay big blobby things and they don't actually ever gain any shape. They might get some indentations. But you have, I mean, your thing looks like a raccoon. I've already taken pictures of it. It's gorgeous. Thank you. How does that happen? Um, it, it's amazing, but with the needle, you really can sculpt the wool and create indentations. And, and I mean, I've never done any sculpting. This is only the second time I've ever done any needle felting. And I wasn't happy with the first thing that a project. Sharon is just such an excellent teacher. And to watch her, I mean, it's like magic with what she can do with a needle. And the more I worked with it, I found that I could manipulate the wool with using the needle to, to create it and start seeing things in 3D. Did, did it matter which size needle you use? Because I know there's fine up through coarse. When you're doing something like this, do you start with coarse for shaping and then... I use the same size needle throughout the whole thing. You did? Yeah. Other than Donna lent me her little clover tool for like for the body. We did the faces first, oh. which I think was smart because... Smaller. So, well, you do all if you do the body first and then you shape a head, and if the head's not proportionally the same, oh my God. then that's really hard. But I think since we shaped the, the, the um, face first, then it was easier because you can always make it, if you needle it more, it becomes smaller. If you start out to, but to make it, of course, if you, make, you want to make it larger, you just add more wool. But, right. um, but you could really ruin a face if you've already. Yeah. 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 So I think it was just easier for us to start with uh, heads and the faces first. Now, he's holding a goldfish. Do you have, like, pipe cleaners in the arms or anything? Or is this just um, completely not in, by needles? Yeah, not in the arms. There, in fact, I don't think there's, a, no, there's no pipe cleaners in my, in this one at all. No armature in that. Because he's sitting, you know, it's basically a large ball at the bottom and he's sitting, then I didn't need any um, armature or any pipe cleaners or wire for it at all. Wow. And how long did this take you start to finish, from the time you started the face to the, the end of the body? Yesterday. Just a whole day? Yeah. Wow. That is so cool. I have to take a better picture of this, I'm realizing, now that I'm holding it. He was so much fun to do, and I'm, it just worked out. I originally didn't start to do him with an open mouth, and then realized that I needed more of a mouth, and so then I did that, and I, I'm it so glad he did, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's perfect. So much personality that way. It's true. Now, do you know what kind of fiber this is? Not Normally, she works with Romney, but um, I don't... 
know that this was necessarily Romney. It's pretty coarse. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. And there's some guard hairs in there. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Right. I'm going to take another picture. And now we'll hear from Leslie, who took a class on fiber preparation, which sounds really boring, but the outcome was gorgeous. Hello. Cherie Kornick. And what did you guys do? Fiber preparation with Renee Russo. So we combed and drum carded fibers and did lots of color blending and fiber blending. What kind of fibers were you guys blending? Well, we started with Romney and CVM, some Coriadale, some uh, Coopworth, and some uh, churro. Ooh, uh, you did, blended churro? What did you blend churro We with? didn't really blend it. We were separating the fibers with... out. Ooh. And then we used the, the different uh, Romney lengths and breeds and, and ages of animals to uh, blend for our cards. And then we used lots and lots of color. Was it all carding or was it... Um... No, we started with combs and we used uh, five pitch and two pitch combs and single combs and little combs. And combs and English combs and Viking combs. Wow, you guys traveled the globe with combs. Yes, we did. we did. What was the difference you found between combs? Because that's the one thing people seem not to know very much about. Mainly the... Uh, fibers we put on the combs um, because of the five pitch being close you have more, closer together and so you can you put uh, finer fibers on the, on those and longer and we were doing worsted oh, work with so those worsted yeah. spinning with those so we were making a worsted product with that did you use a disc to pull stuff off the combs all the combs we used so each this. pass you did on the combs each time you had a hunk of fiber on a comb you combed it out and then dizzed off of that well we could but mostly we would we would get it all under one comb and then pass it back to the comb. Then once we had it the way we wanted, we would diss it off. Then we, in some cases, to get a good uh, worsted product, we would plank it, pull that apart, make links that were maybe 12 inches long, replank it on the comb, and then comb it again. Oh my and that would give us a really nice worsted preparation. And sometimes we were just the fiber by itself to get a sense of the fiber and the fiber links. And at other times we were blending fibers on the combs, both the hand combs and the, the English combs, to get a better, you know, to get blending. And so sometimes it was just blending two wools, sometimes it was blending a wool and an exotic fiber, sometimes it was blending color. And But the thing was to learn to use the same length, so that we, if we were using a CVM that we used a product with it that was the same short like fiber. Like, uh, and and like. So if you have four inch hand combs you want to get something with a, a, a fleece with roughly the same length as no, the... Not, no. <laughs> it's the fibers that need to have the same length, not the combs that need to be the same oh. length. So you need a uniform fleece. Now, if you're using the Cormo, uh, which is a very uh, long, wavy, it's not a very fine fleece, it's a coarser fleece, you would use the broader comb with wider teeth. And maybe only two sets, like Viking combs. And you would comb that and only comb it through on that wide-standing comb. Where with uh, the uh, alpaca or the llama or the CVM, you would use a finer more more closely together. Home. 
Next we have some people who spun and worked with color in Janelle Laidman's class. You may know Janelle Laidman because she is the one who runs Chameleon Color Works as well as Spindelicity's the website. Um, and this was, I think, the first time she's been a mentor at SOAR, which is very exciting. Okay, so what are your names? Barbara Hamilton. Judy Gilchrist. All right, and what did you guys do for this uh, this workshop section? Do you want to start or you want me to start? Well, we took painted skeins and we divided them in many different ways and then spun them in many different ways and plied them differently. And we could take the same skein and get completely different effects by how we divided it and how we spun it and how we um, plied it. And then we would take two different rovings that were different colorways and we combined them in ways where the yarn would look identical or almost identical, but when the, the knitted swatches looked completely different. Wow. That yeah. was one of the things that I noticed last year when I took Deb Menz's class was yeah. that what the roving looked like when I was done with it was not what the spun right. fiber looked like. And that was not what the swatch looked like. Now, is this the fractal stuff that yeah, Janelle was talking about? In yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so we started out with... Um, and then we went to some fractal stuff, and then we did some random stuff. We didn't do simple stuff. We did the hard stuff the first day. Oh, yeah, we did the hard <laughs> stuff the first day. Okay, describe hard stuff. Oh, um, it's, it's taking a skein, dividing in half, spinning one half as a cell, and then dividing the other into two, four, eight, sixteen parts, spinning that. And, and then sequence. flying them together. And that's the fractal? That's just funky. To see yeah. how the stripes would just almost disappear, right. but not really. Right. Ah, yeah. very cool. And then we so did the, the left side of the table is the beginning of the workshop, and the right side of the table is the end of the workshop. Oh, very nicely done. I'll have to get a picture of the front side. We did some random things where you... But you don't want it stripes. Yeah. You did. You ripped it. You stripped it. Put in different places so that. So you reverse the order of the of the pattern repeat. Sometimes we reverse the order in a specified way, and sometimes we just sort of did it when we felt like randomly. Yeah, randomly. Threw it all together. We tore some long, some thick strips, some thin strips, and then tore them in half, and then we just. And this is Emily Turner talking right now. And this is a finished one. We took two rovings that of the same. Well, no, that were well. I chose a light one and a vivid one, and you divided them in half because you're going to make two experiments, two two samples out of it. Right. The first one you did. You have two halves. Dull, bright. This one you do the whole thing by itself. This one you divide into six or eight parts, and you apply the two together. And now the other, you reverse them. So this one is whole, and this one is divided. And that's what you get. And these are, so these are That's the result the right there. Interesting. Right, because with this one, you can see, you do actually wind up with little pale stripes. Right. And you end up with tiny stripes. <laughs> oh, cool. I have to get up my camera. Man, I, I can't hold any more technology. Wow. <laughs> this is too cool. All right. So... 
one on the bottom is the one that yeah. had the, well, the, the, the bright, bright one. Reverse, and, and then the other one was with the greyest one. And then Mary, the cool. mentor is a scientist, and Hi. she didn't like stripes. She started, started experimenting to see how she could modify them. Now so, she likes them. So the mentor is Chanel Laidman of Spindelicity. That's wrong. And Chameleon <laughs> Colorworks. And Chameleon Colorworks. Buy her stuff. And she's an up-and-coming author. Yeah. That's right. Self-publishing. She's working on the book. workshop is going to show up in So, Chanel, do you sleep? No. <laughs> and there you have it. <laughs> Once a week. <laughs> well, this was great. Thank you, guys. Now, the next person you're going to hear from is uh, Jenny, and she took the fiber prep class from Robin Russo. But one of the reasons why I'm playing this interview is because she is an unbelievable lace knitter. I mean, she she spun something that's like, I don't know, 80 wraps per inch and spun the lace shawl and I have a picture of it that I'm going to put up so this is an interview with Jenny who I'm sure you will be hearing from again Jenny Clayton fiber preparation with Robin Russo cool what did you learn at your, your class this year at SOAR? The thing I was most excited about was designer butts on a drum carter, so that was a lot of fun. That was the, what we did most of this afternoon, so um, I got to blend a lot of wool and silk and things like that, things that I wanted to use for my lace weight spinning. So one of the things that podcast listeners can't see is that you are wearing the most amazing hand-knit, hand-spun lace shawl that you designed yourself, which I'm going to have to take a picture of. Thank you very but much. the question is, from your fiber prep class, did you find out that there were certain fibers that were more suitable to doing the kind of lace spinning that you're interested in, and certain ones that you really should stay away from, or certain preparations that you should do, and certain ones that you should stay away from? Well, that's really why I signed up for the class, because I'll find beautiful blends that I can't end up using. Like, at the level I'm working at, even VFL is too rough. It turns into steel wool. So I wanted to learn how to blend the fibers I'm using. So fine fleeces like merino, cormo, polework, those are great for lace, and also um, for a, like a, a hard, tight lace like this, you want to do a worsted spun yarn, and combing is the best preparation, well, it's the preparation to get worsted prepared. The real worsted. Yeah, to get everything aligned. When you're using a carter, it's a woolen preparation, and it's kind of a cloud, and everything's kind of interwoven and going in different directions, but with combing, everything is parallel and going the same direction, so you'll get much more successful worsted yarn. You'll get a true worsted yarn by combing. So when you talk about doing worsted for your lace weight work. You're talking about the fiber prep and the direction of the fibers, not the size of the yarn, like if I went to Walmart and bought worsted weight yarn. Correct. Worsted preparation um, is, there's worsted preparation and woolen preparation, and it's separate from the worsted weight. Um, worsted preparation can be any weight yarn, and it's just the alignment of the fibers and all this, also the spinning technique. You use the inchworm or the pinch and pull method for worsted, and you use the long draw for carded and for so when you go home, or 
for the next four days. <laughs> um, are you going to make plans to do another lace weight shawl? I am actually working on spinning for another one right now, but I brought a bunch of fibers with me to cart, so I'm going to be doing carding while I'm here. I brought my drum carter. It's, we were driving here, and I was like, don't get in a wreck. We'll get killed by the drum carter. <laughs> the one thing you don't want knocking into your head. Exactly. So I'll be doing blends while we're here. I brought fibers to, um, to prepare while I'm here, but I am in the middle of a, a new spinning project for a new shawl. And Very cool. Bombic silk. It's, uh, oh my god. It's gorgeous. On too. a drum carter? No, no. It was a, a roving that I brought okay. with me. That's what I'm in the middle of working on. Okay. So. so what do you do for real life? Um, I'm an editor for a line of craft books. Ah. And I'm very also cool. in contract negotiations to write my own book, which Excellent. I'm very excited about. Well, you should, because looking at the shawl that's on your body right now, people will pay money to be able to do what you do. Thank you. <laughs> well, actually, it's going to be on beginning, beginning spinning, but once that one's done and I get them hooked, maybe on to something more advanced. <laughs> So the last interview from the show-and-tell night is Dodie. Dodie was in my class, though the Spinning for Weaving class, and I had her talk about what we did. My name's Dodie Rush. <laughs> and what class did you take at Sir this year? I took... Um, <laughs> Concentrate on me. No. Focus, focus. <laughs> I took spinning uh, yarn for uh, weaving for the Bridget Fascinating. And <laughs> considering that you took it also and did a fabulous job. It's so true. We were also great. What was the most important thing that you learned as far as your your rather long career with spinning? Because you are one of the scholarship committee. You've been around this I've whole community for a while. About 15 years. 17, oh, wow. 17 years, yes. Not long. Okay, so is this the first time you've ever woven anything? Yes. It's the first time I've ever encountered a loom. So in 17 years of spinning, you'd never tried to use up all your spinning? <laughs> I don't spin that much because I spin for a project usually. I don't. I have a stash of fiber, but not a stash of uh, spun yarn. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> so what made you decide to take it this year? Um, this was actually my second choice, and I'm delighted I got it because what I got from it and what I really wanted from it was spinning a singles that could be used as a weapon. Cuts down spinning time and increases your weaving time. Boy, you're not kidding. <laughs> we both found that out. Um, what was what was your biggest surprise with what you did in this class? Uh, that I did like the loom and that it did it did use up yarn very rapidly and uh, it, it was quite enjoyable. Well, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. And our last interview is with Jan. Jan is from the UK, and she came and gave a spectacular talk, which I missed, on rare sheep breeds in Britain. <laughs> right, usually known as Jan. <laughs> Do you still have sheep? No. No more? No. no um, a lot of my contacts. It's so complicated to keep sheep these days. Yeah. So much paperwork. So how long have you been keeping track of sheep sheep and sheep breeds in the UK? Sort of started by accident. Really? And I, like everything good. Yes, and I, I do a quick introduction. And 
site of how it comes. Photographs have started out. Um, guild member, um, secretary knew I was taking photographs for my own interest and said, Jeff, you've got all these photographs, will you show them to us and tell us about them and the police about it. And once you do something with the one your own guild, it gets written up and other guilds hear about it and I'm on the guild list and wow, I've got to stage I'm going back two and three times now because I've been doing it so long and people are saying, well, we enjoyed you last time, but um, we've <laughs> Can got you find some more sheep? We've, well, we've got newcomers who don't oh. know. And I used to go with masses of police and do a workshop with all the different sorts of police so they could try, but I can't. I couldn't. It's too much. It's too much, and I haven't done that for a number of years, and marriage was up, and so I, I just stopped doing that. But I still do workshops, because if I'm travelling 100, 200 miles, and they're paying my travelling expenses, if it's a long distance, putting me up overnight, perhaps two nights, they need their money's worth, and they need to be able to recoup it a bit. So I say, well, let's do a workshop. Um, and I've got, this is one of them. Um, <laughs> it's very cool. And, uh, with various spinning techniques. So the techniques for different types of fleece, fleece and long draw spinning, short draw spinning, um, worsted spinning. You know, using the wool combs. A favourite one at the moment is using and spinning long staple fleece, and that's not all spinning it. And it's different ways of spinning it. Interesting. So I would have fun with that. So, do you, are you the kind of person who can recognize any sheep at no. 50 paces? No. Um, I can recognize a lot of the primitives or the rares, but not the commercials. I might recognize the Suffolk, but um, that's no. I've always specialized in the rare colored and minority. Well, what, what makes the difference between primitive and rare? The primitive are the very oldest breeds, like um, you've got Zoe, Bore, um, North Romelsey, Shetland, Hebridean, Manx Lawton, just in there. And, uh, but um, usually it's where they molt. Really? Yes, the equipment of molting, they get a break in their fleece at a certain time of the year. So there's a break and then the fleece will come off. And things like Zoe's that run wild, they, oh, I've got pictures you'll see tomorrow with them in the throes of doing it. I've had Shetlands who haven't done it totally, but they've done it in areas. And one Easter, um, I looked at a girl, one of ours, who had, I'm not sure it was twins or triplets that year, but I thought that coat looks as if it's risen sufficiently. And she was a very friendly character. Annie, she'll be on there tomorrow night. And um, she had a character. To get me a tarpaulin, and I ran, rattled the box, and she came up for treats, and I grabbed her, and I just ran my hands through her coat, and the whole lot came off, and just left the hairy bits left. So she came home with her babies for three or four nights and into my garage. So can you be primitive and rare, but not rare and primitive, or can you be can you um, be both? The, you'll see with the sheep tomorrow night um, what, what comprises as a rare, and it's the number of sheep that are in the country and they're 
various categories and we've um, listed how many animals are in which category. So, that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why they pay you the big bucks. I guess I'm going to have some spending money. I'm just wondering how they're going to get it to me. <laughs> So you can probably tell that most of the people who I interviewed were absolutely unused to being on an interview, and we spent quite a bit of our time giggling. I tried to cut out as much as I possibly could. I also apologize for the background noise. There was not much I could do about it, since um, almost all of the events that took place at SOAR took place in groups of people, and there just wasn't much I could do about uh, isolating them without making it a really uncomfortable situation, since, again, these are not professional interviewees. <laughs> the next opportunity that I had to record anyone was at the... Um, the spin-in on Saturday night when I was finally able to start asking people about how they started to spin and when and where. And so our first interviewee is Emily Turner, followed by Meg and Jan from the UK. So what's your name? Emily Turner. And Emily, how long have you been spinning? I've been spinning about four years. I learned in Northern Ireland at a historical um, heritage museum. They taught you to spin at a heritage museum? They had classes for adults on weekends every so often, and so I learned to spin there. I don't think I knew that. It was a great fun, and she was a spectacular teacher, and they had sheep on the farm, and so the class started with her pulling out one of the fleeces and laying it on the floor and showing us how to skirt it and how to select fiber from it. It so. didn't start with you hugging a sheep? No, no. They weren't they weren't near the building that we were that we were learning our lessons. That's so wrong. <laughs> All right, and you, madam. What's your name? My name is Meg Crowther. And where are you from? I'm from a town called Basingstoke in the United Kingdom. And what got you into spinning? I uh, was at a craft fair one weekend and there was a lady in a wool shop sat spinning so I sat down and had to go on her wheel and left with a wheel and a fleece. Oh dear God. And started spinning 20 years ago. Wow. That's commitment. Do you know that summer, 20 years ago, is when I bought my first spindle in York. In England. In England. It was a good year, obviously. It was. It was a good year for the shepherds. <laughs> Could finally maybe turn a profit. Possibly. No. <laughs> the shepherds in England don't turn a profit. Yeah. Sheep farmers in England, I should say, don't turn a profit. They can't sell their fleeces. In England? They practically have to pay the wool board to take them away. What about, like, Colinet and local yard? They're shipping it in? The wool, the wool board only want white fleeces because it's too difficult to process colours. And the wool market dropped. Well, the bottom fell out of the wool market when the Cold War ended because there's no longer the need for the Russian army greatcoat. Right. That's what killed the wool market. So what, what do you primarily use your hands done for? Uh, hand knitting and tapestry weaving. Ah, that's right. I saw your tapestries in the gallery. Quite something, miss. Oh, they're the small ones. I wondered. They were they were portable. They're portable and they're, they're quicker and easier to weave. Um, I have a shaft continuous warp loom, so I can weave four or five small tapestries. Ah. 
and then take them all off the loom together. At the moment, I've got a tapestry that's going to be about a yard and a half long, and it's taking a lot of weaving. And what do you use for your work? I use a cotton warp, and I warp uh, uh, with double threads so that I'm weaving over two warp threads. Ah. And then if I want to put more detail in, I can then split the warp threads and... and Aren't you clever? Fine Aren't you clever? I like the Jacob cut. That was a challenge at our guild. Really? We had, we had a challenge. We have it every two years. It's called the Jacob Challenge, uh, or the Hawkridge Challenge, from the people that donate the trophy. And it's for the item which best portrays the characteristics of Jacob's fleece. Lovely. So, and it can be anything. I need a picture of that. You'll have to send me a picture of that. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. Much. You're welcome. I'm just going to move on over here. Now, Jan, I already traumatized you by interviewing you, but <laughs> what I didn't do was I didn't ask you how long you've been spinning. Oh, dear. Do I really have to work that far back? <laughs> you could just say a really long time. A very long time. And what was it that got you interested in spinning? My head of department, when I was teaching dressmaking, thought that we ought to have somebody come into the school to show the girls how a thread was made. I happened to know somebody who'd got a spinning wheel. That's it? She said she would come, but I had to, um, with my head of department, we had to go out and learn enough to be able to help her take a course, a class of the girls using a drop spindle. So she sat me at her Ashford wheel. She spent the evening, bless her, doing Rolex. Both Linda and I could use a treadle sewing machine, so we sat at the wheels and we just pedaled. Linda spent spun microscopic immediately and I did the thick character yarn immediately <laughs> and I was totally hooked it's good to have character yes absolutely that's what I'm doing on this spinny <laughs> and then uh, so I played with a spindle I trotted it up and down the kitchen steps and my daughter uh, what was she about nine ten thought it was great to twiddle the spindle and then um, a few months later, my husband walked in with a spinning wheel, which was um, and just before my birthday, but it, we were extremely fortunate. He didn't know anything about wheels, and it had come out of an antique shop. It was a reproduction, and it's one of the ones that um, was made to work, and it did Fantastic. work, but I couldn't make it work because I didn't know anything about tension. So I phoned friend up, and she said, well, we're coming down to the boat this evening. I'll meet you on the lock side. So we went and sat on the lock side and she said oh this is lovely oh yes oh, oh yes well this is how you tension it tension it help what so she explained that got me going and I've been spinning ever since that's wonderful mm. boy talk about serendipitous <laughs> good thought well thank you but very much must be about 75 that happened wow you are lucky you got a decent wheel that worked. Very. I mean, we had some, there was a dear, of, oh, such a pretty one with mother and pearl and all sorts of beautiful things on it. Came into our house two or three times. I wish I'd put a mark on it somewhere because it came with different people. And they came in and realized it wouldn't work, it wouldn't spin. And then a few months later, somebody else phoned up, I've got an antique wheel, it's very pretty. And my heart sank each time. I said, well, I hope it works. I 
have a look at it and then it would come and if you looked on the metal bits at the back it looked all very ancient but when you scratched it it was paint and sand over a modern nail so it was a real deception. So I was so lucky. It's criminal. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thanks for talking to us again. You're welcome. It's nice to have had your company. It's been great having you here, too. Well done. My next victim was Laura, who is one of our listeners who had absolutely no interest in being interviewed, but I managed to finally cajole her. Laura is a veterinarian, and this is something that I learned at SOAR. The women and the gentlemen who I was surrounded by were really smart and very interesting and I don't think any two people had the same profession. Can you tell us your name? (laughs) I can't do this. (laughs) What's your name? Oh man, nobody loves me. There's no love. I listen to your podcast. I don't want to hear my voice. (laughs) Sure you Unfortunately, I feel like I have nothing to contribute. How long have you been spinning? I've been spinning eight years. What got you into spinning? It just seemed like a logical offshoot from knitting. And how long have you been knitting? Nine years. <laughs> it didn't take you long. No, it didn't did. take you long. <laughs> and how many sorts have you been to? I have been to six. So is that six since 2001? Six since 2000. There was one year that I didn't come. Which was 2001? Uh, no, that was 2000. It was the last time they were here at Michigan. Really? Yes, and I regretted it very deeply, not coming. But you made you made it to the 2001 store? Yes, I flew out of Logan uh, the day after it opened. Unbelievable. Yeah, I was investigating um, flights out of Manchester, New Hampshire. I was right. calling all around trying to figure out where I could get a flight out of in case they didn't open Logan up. So they opened it up and you actually managed to get out. Yeah, I, they opened it and I flew out the next day. See, now that's that's what it means to be a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I figured if I didn't come to SOAR, the terrorists would win. <laughs> See, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I was in J- Judith McKenzie's cashmere class oh, crap, for three you had days. To come. <laughs> I had to come. <laughs> All right. See, that wasn't so painful, was it? (laughs) Now, what will become apparent as you continue to listen is that the longer I interviewed people, the more everyone was drinking. And so the giggling gets worse. But the people continue to be very interesting. Next, we have Juno, who blogs at EnchantingJuno.com. And then we talk to Kim Desko. We're speaking with Juno. It's true. Hi, Juno. Hi. What's your blog? Enchanting Juno. Ah, I have read your blog. (laughs) So pleased. Can you tell me what your favorite piece of classic literature is? Pride and Prejudice. No, really? It's my favorite book in the whole world. No, you lie. I do not. Okay, what were all the books you were talking about? It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. I'm so in love with you. (laughs) Okay, so... So, oh what were all the books you were talking about last night that are modern pieces of fiction that you like? Well, I don't know if I like them yet because they are unread. Oh, that was the 130 <laughs> books that were unread. Yes. No, but there was something you were talking about that you liked. Oh, I'm reading right now Inheritance of Loss. That was it. That was the book that moved me and yes. moves me still. Although I have not taken more than one or two words in this week. <laughs> You've been busy. I have. <laughs> all right. We've heard from an English major. Now let's talk to an account. 
Hi there, what's your name? Kim Desco. Hi, Kim. What's your favorite piece of classic literature? The Gulag Archipelago. No way! Why? Why? The angst, the struggle, the rising of the human spirit above such absolute inhumane conditions. Kim, you don't sound anything like an accountant to me. <laughs> I don't wear a green eye shade and I don't have little armbands and I have a life. I think you're my hero. I wrote... I know. Really hot accountants are in right now? I one of my bosses in another account, and he spends spring break down at the uh, baseball training camp, yeah. hanging out with the, the Phillies, drinking, drinking himself senseless, probably drinking more than Chuno did last night, <laughs> every night. There are challenges that we need to set before ourselves to work towards. This is one of my challenges that I set before myself. Um, so. Okay, modern fiction? Oh, it's very eclectic, and I'm very, very bad with names, but Kathy Wright is one of my favorite um, authors. So you can tell that cutting in and out of some of these conversations was kind of difficult because I was getting interrupted by people who were walking up to me and asking me questions as well, so I, I kind of had to do some unprofessional editing, for which I apologize. My biggest sadness, however, in all of this was that I didn't have one of our new t-shirts on. And they are available now. There will be a link to Jen Minnis's site where you can buy yourself a Hot Men of Craftlet t-shirt if you so desire. I am going to do that when I'm done recording the podcast. Next, we are going to talk to Dan. Dan is in charge of Cheap Swill at Soar. All right, so Dan. So wait, what do you actually? Uh, yes. I have a podcast. Okay. You're wearing a Frank Zappa shirt. Yes, I am. What do you like about Frank Zappa? Frank Zappa was an extremely eclectic musician who has like jazz, 1950s music, rock and roll, good lyrics, and a keen understanding of the human condition. How does that relate to fiber? <laughs> Well, funny you should mention it. See, I knew there was an answer. <laughs> but when you, you see that mustache? Yep. And that hair? Yep. And we have napkins in our house that have been made from that material. <laughs> I guess I could call it fiber. That's a horrifying thought. <laughs> this was made by Frank Zappa's hair. <laughs> no, that would be kind of scary. That was really scary. Um, no, I think, uh, you know, Frank Zappa is, uh, represents a very strange cut of the American society. And, and for so example, you. when you come to when you come to Soar, yeah. and there are all these fiber freaks here, yeah. same thing. It's true. And here you are, one of the only men yes. here yes. at all. And believe it or not, the first time I came here, my wife had to beg me to come here. And now you beg her to come, <laughs> so you can be surrounded by women. No, who I still try to get a couple bonus points by bringing her here. So I don't think begging would be very, you know, becoming of a person such as I. Oh, and here comes Richard Ashford. Another man. 
Yeah, but he's selling me. Richard, can I offer yeah. you a week hey, glass this, of swill? This swill is gone. No, it's not gone. I'm going to get some <laughs> really? out for you. Yes. Yeah. I moved up. See my glass? This it it looks like you did. This is my special 25th anniversary yeah. swill glass. Did you make that yourself? Um, it looks like it. <laughs> and what is oh, that sorry, Dan. <laughs> You're just a creative guy. <laughs> you get an extra big glass of swill for that comment. Let me tell you. Please excuse me for just a second. I so second. understand. Yeah. He's we're the recording. big swiller. He is the big swiller. We're recording for my podcast. So oh, now, really? Now oh, you're sorry. on my oh, podcast. Right. Oh, no. No, it's a go away. <laughs> no, because I can ask you, what is your favorite piece of classical literature? Something written pre-Hemingway. Oh. Could be anything. Moby Dick. Really? <laughs> you're my first Moby Dick. And you're... What? You're from New Zealand. Um, my name's Richard. There are so many jokes that come off of that that line that I'm just not going to touch right now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why interviewed. I, I, this is a serious time. This is right? like, this is I'm like gonna back out of here. switching face. We can always kind of step away about yeah, yeah, yeah. it. No, well, what's yeah, your favorite classic? Yeah, now, his is, is Moby Dick. What's your favorite classic lit written before? Listen to me. I actually listen to Moby Dick on books on tape. He listened to Moby Dick as a book on tape. Yeah, he's, a, he's a big listener. And you know what? <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. It is a good book. No, the guy was such a great reader. It was like it was like 26 hours of books on tape. I would have thought longer. It's a long drive. And it was, no, it was like one of the, it was, you know, it's all in the reader, but that's why I really like audiobooks, just because it really has brought back the whole art of, uh, yeah. of uh, storytelling. Yeah, which is why we have our podcast. Because you've noticed that when you're spinning, knitting, felting, it's hard to open a book and read. Or driving. Or drive. I didn't know Richard was so shy, man. It's good. It's He's a whole good. new side I, hear, I, I learned. <laughs> All right, what's your book? No book right now. Serious? You don't have a favorite classic lit book? No. Something that you love from the past? No. Loser. Wow. Okay, what about a geology text? <laughs> <laughs> What's the best hydro book you've ever read? No, not going there either. That's too much like work. Dang. What do you do when you're not here? For fun. For fun? Yeah. Right off track. You know, I just try to turn every minute of the day into as much fun as possible because there are very few minutes for true unadulterated fun. God, that's so true. And that's why people are so happy to see you show up at Slower. <laughs> it's not the wine, it's the fun. Perhaps. <laughs> and Dan and his wife, Fred, really are a lot of fun. It's not just the cheap swill. They're also geologists from Albuquerque. How much cooler does it get than that? I had assumed that Dan was just getting dragged along by Fred and was providing kind of comic relief and cheap wine for everybody. But not so. That's his first knitting. It's so sweet. And it's buffalo. Oh, God. If we all could learn to knit on buffalo. She taught him how to knit on buffalo. And look how good it is. And it's so even. I wonder if he'd knit that evenly if it wasn't buffalo. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a uh, pleasure to touch. You wouldn't learn to knit. Who wouldn't want to continue? Seriously. So I have a question. Go ahead. So six years ago, you brought your husband to SOAR. Yes. Why? Oh, for the fun. Because it was just too much fun. And he likes to play with fiber. Did you bring 
here before. I had been here, uh, this is my ninth store, so I've been here. I'd been here three times before. And when I came home, I had obviously, I couldn't hide it. I had obviously had too much time. My face hurt from laughing. My stomach hurt from laughing. I was just bouncing around, and he wanted to join in. That is really cool. Now, does he actually take classes? He's taught, uh, he's taking classes. He's taught classes. He does a little more demonstrating than I do these days. He's an indigo dyer. Uh, he was weaving ankles. This morning he's done a lot of belting. So he's caught dying? Indigo dying. Wow. It's good. He had uh, his indigo in the gallery and also some, um, uh, he had a Nuno scarf that was from Sharon Costello's class this summer. Now you had something in the gallery too. I had a pair of socks that were blend along socks. This was only two colors that were blended uh, to achieve 21 different colors and I had thrown out a lot from the blend. I blended them in a star pattern. So I started with 50-50 blend and then would just blend them back with themselves. It's only two colors. Wow. Wow. I've seen weaving like that but I've never seen knitting. Now I know why I sat there staring at what you brought for as long as I did. Like, how the hell did she do that? That is so... Have you taught classes here as well? No, no, I've only taken classes here, but uh, I teach a lot of people about cotton because we grow a lot of cotton. Dan is the cotton grower in the family. Um, though they're, they're really my plants, we grow colored cotton. Uh, and we've developed a really long green cotton. And it grows in Albuquerque? It grows well in Albuquerque because it's native to that area. So would it grow in Tucson? It would grow so well in Tucson. Would you like some seeds? I would love some seeds! Okay, thank you, bye! So I felt like a complete moron because after I turned off the recorder to receive said seeds, Fred and I got into the most amazing discussion about cotton and about a third of the way into it, I realized that I should have had the recorder on because it was really, really useful information. However, I also found out that Fred has a blog. And so I will be linking to that blog in the show notes. She's known as Fibergal and you may have actually come across her blog before because it's really quite beautiful and and uh, very interesting and very well written geologists who knew um that night after this point descended into i wouldn't say a drunken stupor but certainly more and more chaos which you can hear in the background there was uh, much rejoicing and quite a bit of music but the next day, uh, we got up and I was part of a panel with Stephanie Pearl McPhee and Jan from the Louette Company and Janine, who is just a stalwart of SOAR, and Janelle Laidman of Chameleon Colorworks. I recorded most of the um, panel discussion, but it really didn't record very well, and honestly, it wouldn't be all that interesting to you. However, in the car ride on the way home, I was in a car with Amy Singer, Julia, Carol Hubner Rhodes, Judith Peterson, Diane Ballerino, and Emily Turner, and I asked everyone in the car to give me their name and their favorite books. And you can hear the wind whipping by us as we race through Upper Michigan, but um, but I think you can still hear the words pretty well. Hello, my name is Amy Singer. I live in Toronto, Canada, which is north of the border and has no polar bears. Can you say A? A. <laughs> Oot. Well, you That's pretty good. Was that good? Yeah. Thank you. Are you, learn, are you learning how to talk Canadian? I've been there since I was six. If I can't do it now, I'll never be able to do it. <laughs> it's hopeless. <laughs> 
right, so Amy. Yes, yes, Heather. Two nights ago, I scared <laughs> you with the potential question. You did. Are you prepared, or should I ask you a different one? You can ask me, and I will have a really bad answer, so okay. go for it, and then we'll try something else. All right, so what's your favorite piece of classic literature? Anything written by an Austin or a Bronte. Is that's that a, fair? That's a totally good answer. Yeah, because I read all those in college and loved them. I also had a little fun with Thackeray. No. Yeah, just a little. It was fun at the time. You yeah. dabbled with that. I thought. Just a little dabbling. And uh, I remember we read we read Walden when I was in high school. And you liked it? I liked it. And there was, there was Shakespeare, and I liked when I had a good teacher who could explain it all to me. But when I think of the stuff I really like to read, it, I, I, well, even Dickens. I actually really got to Dickens in first year college. That was nice. See, but, and here you thought And I you thought had I had nothing. nothing. Well, it all came back to me the moment I saw those eyes of yours. Yes. Since, since you're spending most of your time running Nitty.com and writing books, yes. do you have time to read now? Uh, I still love audiobooks. If I find something in print and it grabs me, then I go. Like, I read Harry... Well, everybody read Harry Potter in two yeah. days. Some people read it a day. My husband. Um, I actually am finding it really hard to keep my eyes focused on the written word lately. Yep. And I saw someone at the airport or somewhere who had one of those Sony e-books where it's all, you know, you have 150 books in a little computer device, but you're still staring at a screen. So lately what I love most is to find a really great narrator and listen. So I have Neil Gaiman now reading Stardust to me as I go to sleep every night. Oh, I cannot complain about that. I love it. <laughs> it's really good. And I was my favorite thing ever, and maybe the, my favorite thing for the rest of my life, was um, his Dark Materials trilogy. Oh. Not just read, oh, yes. read by the author, but acted out. Yes, it yes. was brilliant. Oh my out. heavens, I was so completely absorbed by that yeah. for, for at least a year. I read the first one and then switched to the audiobook for the second because I couldn't get past having a new character. I didn't, uh, I didn't like Will. I didn't want to know about Will. I didn't either. I to go I, back. Until he was slipped in and I'm like, oh, all right. Yep. Oh, Myra. Oh, I want life. Don't you want an armor bear? <laughs> exactly. I'm going yes. to Svalbard next week. I can't wait. You know there really is a Svalbard? There really is There's a Svalbard. There's a real Svalbard. And, and you're it, going? No, but it's, I'm, I will be closer next week than I will have ever been in my life. It really exists. I did not know this. Wow. And I will be in Oxford if I'm really lucky, so I will do, be doing the whole Pullman thing. If you're in Oxford, go to the Eagle and Child for me and sit where C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien sat. There's a plaque. Okay. Because right. that's where I spent <clears throat> every night for six weeks while I was at Balliol College across the street. Oh. I love, love Oxford. I'm also looking forward, probably, I think we may actually go to Bath to take a bath. Because <laughs> you can. You take the waters. You're so lucky. I'm I got a, to go really but I didn't take I don't know what we're doing. I'm, I'm teaching all weekend, and then I have a couple of free days, and we're going to try to decide. It's kind of dumb to go to Paris. When you go to London, you should just, you know, be in England. Be in London. So we were thinking maybe a, a trip on the train. Yes, we will look for platform nine and three quarters, because we're like that. Just push the cart really hard. Really hard. <laughs> and we were like, why do you have that headache? And yeah, other than that, I don't know, John Irving. And Tyler, oh. when she doesn't depress me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Barbara King Solver. Yeah. How about Canadian authors? Canadian authors? And uh, 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 Margaret Atwood, Margaret Atwood, Margaret Atwood. <laughs> sure, sure. Oryx and Craig is one of my favorite books ever. Also, she's brilliant. listened to as opposed to read. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Did she read it? No, it was Probably. Campbell Scott, <gasps> and he did the most beautiful. Julia's having a heart attack over the excitement. It is I'd a beautifully read, read book, book, and I, I don't know if I would have actually gotten through it with my face on the page. I, I needed to hear him tell it to me. And it was amazing as a story. Wow. I, yeah, Margaret Atwood is my number one. She is. Occasionally Robertson Davies. So now I have to move my arm. Okay. <clears throat> Name and favorite classic lit? Oh, dear. Well, okay, uh, Julia. 
Cool. Um, and I read a blog called Moth Heaven. Um, favorite classic literature? Well, if I did not mention uh, the Bard uh, having a master's degree <laughs> in Renaissance literature, um, my former professors would hunt me down. I, I think I would have to and, 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 and then chain me into a small round room with a bear. And, uh, <laughs> and Svalbard. Right. Svalbard. <laughs> with armor. Um, God, classic, classic literature. Anything pre-Hemingway. That's what she told me. Pre-Hemingway. I'm, I'm throwing a whole lot in there. I, well, you know, I have a, a little fondness living in New England uh, for Sarah Orne Jewett. <gasps> Love her. Who wrote a yeah, little uh, book called uh, Point, Country of the Point of First. Yes. I made my husband read it before I would marry him. You could, so we could know, because that's really all I wanted to ever talk about. She's, she's, <laughs> one, of the best, she's one of the best regional writers. She's best. really fantastic. And yeah, and nobody reads her anymore. Oh, well. Except you and your husband. Well, you know, <laughs> is it on the upswing? I, I would like to think so, but you know, I think people buy it when they come to New England. Like you know, you you know, and and then they they buy they buy they buy, they buy um, make way for ducklings, and then and they buy. <laughs> I have a friend who can name all the ducks in order. It's actually alphabetical. Yeah, and she starts with uh, Mac, Quack, Mac, Mac, Pack, Quack. No, it starts earlier than that. Quack. But it's alphabetical. Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised. And I think it ends with a Quack. That's classic literature. Your baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, I'll, I'll say, well, the president okay. thinks that the best book he ever read as a kid was uh, uh, um, the Very Hungry Caterpillar, then I'm sticking with Make Way for Ducklings. <laughs> All right. I think that's valid. I'm going to pass this back. So, yeah. Okay, then just say your favorite book. I couldn't say off the top of my head. Really? No. What are, what's a good range? Did you take English lit in college? No, I advanced placement in high school. So just AP was pretty much the end of it. What did you read in AP? Russian lit. You're kidding. You had a brutal AP teacher, Dostoevsky. Wow. All right, Carol. It's Carol Anthony Trollope. Anything by him or his mother, Frances Trollope. She didn't write as much, but her stuff's wickedly funny. Oh, you're my first Trollope. Which sounds so funny. <laughs> oh, we all have Oh, Carol. <laughs> Carol. Excellent. Can you flip it over? Name and favorite book. Uh, Judith Peterson, favorite book. Um, I like A.S. Byatt's uh, Fairy Tales of the Djinns or something like that. It's got the story that it is one story that's in there has the most phenomenal color descriptions of the sky changing. It's just you wouldn't believe. I mean, I want to weave that story. heard anyone say that one of their stories was their favorites because of the description of color. That is one of the hardest things to write. Yeah, yeah. That is so cool. Do you have a book now? So I have a book. Yes. Finally, finally. Gonna, finally, I'm going to say something because Heather has been bugging me the entire store. That's so right. I will it's say something. It's only been a week. Yourself. My name is Diane Ballerino. There we go. And I, my favorite book was, was Jane Eyre. I love Jane Eyre. And I, of course, you know, Rochester was one of my favorite characters, the moody, you know, 
romantic Everybody story. Needs Everybody needs a Rochester. Everybody needs a Rochester. And also, my one of my favorite, most evocative books was the, the My Friend Flicka series. Oh, yeah. Because they, you actually feel and see the place that they're talking about. You yep. can actually see it in your mind's eye, and it's incredibly evocative, I felt. And so that was probably, those are also my favorite books. And of course, how can we forget Tolkien? Nobody says Tolkien. Everybody thinks, it. I mean, you know, when somebody brings it up, everybody goes, oh, yeah, but everybody forgets to say it. It's true. Yes. Tolkien. My favorite series, my, probably my favorite series of all time. Awesome. All right, and last but not least. Hi, it's Emily Turner, and I agree with the Tolkien. Um, I'm not sure if it fits, but Sherlock Holmes is always wonderful. Oh, yeah. And I love Frankenstein and Jane Eyre and Austin's. And I really enjoyed uh, Canterbury Tales when I was in high school. Isn't it a good book? Oh, it's just fun. It's hysterical. Did yeah. you get to read any of the dirty parts, or was it just oh, the yeah. stuff? Oh, good. Okay. Well, we, we didn't read it officially, but, you, you know, I they can't help myself. Could we had to buy our own copies. Oh, so you could find all the dirty stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Now, with, with Sherlock Holmes, have you read any of... Lori King? Lori King. Can't get into her so much. Did you start with the Beekeeper's Apprentice? No, you have to start with the Beekeeper's okay. Apprentice. If you read them out of order, everything's okay. Messed up. Let me know when you read the Beekeeper's Apprentice. Okay, because I'll be very interested. I think she nailed Sherlock. Yeah. Okay. okay. She just writes him beautifully. Watson, okay. however, is funny because he's Careful. he's not the idiot that you've been led to believe that Conan Doyle had to create. going to play you out tonight with Meg, our friend from the UK, singing The Spinning Wheel, which is a folk song Meg sings in pubs throughout the UK. And this is just an example of one of the songs that she sings. She serenaded us. It was beautiful. And by the end of the song, everybody was singing the chorus. This episode of Craftlet is sponsored by Knitting Out Loud. Listen while you knit. You can find a blog for this podcast at craftlit.blogspot.com or craftlit.libsyn.com. That's craftlit, C-R-A-F-T-L-I-T, all one word, and libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N. And of course, you can subscribe at iTunes. Craftlet is supported by the generous donations of its listeners, and for that, I am truly grateful. And do remember, if your hands are too busy to pick up a book, at least you can turn one on. On a personal note, I would like to dedicate this episode of Craftlet to Amy Clark Moore, who lost her grandmother at the beginning of SOAR this year. Amy, you were very missed. And we all were thinking of you the whole time.